Turn in your Bibles to Colossians. We are in Colossians chapter 2. We've been, I've been trying to get through the book of Colossians, uh, just going through it verse by verse. On Wednesdays, a couple weeks ago, we started Deuteronomy, and that kind of ties in with, uh, the book of Deuteronomy ties in with the last book of Psalms, the Psalms being divided up into five books, and starting with Psalm 107, all the way through the end of the Psalms, ties in with uh, Deuteronomy, and that's been um, a very, very uh, interesting study. So on Sundays, we've been going through Colossians. Is everybody there? Colossians chapter 2. All right. Uh, last week, we were talking about being buried with him in baptism. Where This is verse, verse 12. Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Now, most people would think that this baptism that is right here would refer to being dunked in water. Now, that's something that we do as a representation of this, but what this here is actually talking about, uh, think, go down a little bit, see that operation of God? That operation of God is referring to verse 11 when it says, the circumcision made without hands. Now, we know that there was a Jewish circumcision that every male child had to, had to go through on the eighth day. Now, that circumcision was still uh, being pushed by a lot of Judaizers to the Gentiles that were coming into the church. And we went to Deuteronomy last week and talked about a couple places where it talked about the circumcision of the heart or the flesh being taken away so that we can uh, produce fruit with our Heavenly Father, that we can be uh, of use to Him by getting rid of this flesh that's in the way. So the real circumcision is that operation made, of, that is made without hands. It's the operation of God. And then we are baptized into the death of Jesus Christ. Romans 6 tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, if we're in Him, then we died on that cross. And if He was buried in the tomb, we were buried in the tomb. And if He was raised up to resurrection life, that we are raised up. And we are to walk in newness of life. We're not to be... Uh, an improvement of what we were, were to be a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's the problem with most people who go to church where they don't get any results is they're trying to fix this worthless, fleshly human being. You're trying to improve something that cannot be improved. 
It needs to be crucified, done away with, and then a new creature appears. Right? That's what we have to see in this scripture right here, that we are buried with him in baptism. You know, it's one baptism that really saves, and that's being, that's being baptized in the Holy Ghost in Jesus. The water baptism is something that we do, that we're commanded to do. It's very important in our Christian walk, but that is, that is for us to show everybody else that we mean what we meant by trusting in the Lord and being baptized into Him. That is a, if you don't have that spiritual baptism into the body of Christ, the dunking in the water doesn't do much for you. Get you wet, that's about it. It does not cleanse you. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses you. Circumcision in the Old Testament, that sealed the covenant that God made with Abraham. Remember that? Circumcision sealed the covenant that God made with Abraham. Calvary seals the new covenant. Okay? Calvary seals the new covenant. We are under the new covenant, not the old. We cherish the old covenant. We cherish all the laws that are in our Bibles. But we cannot be justified through the law. Cannot do it. Verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened or made alive together with him, having for forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. What is that uh, handwriting of ordinances? If you go to, uh, you don't have to go there, but just make note. If you want to read it on your own time, go to Leviticus 16, and you will see a major chore that the priest would have to do. And I'm going to just give you an example of it. There's 31 verses there that talk about all the things that the priest had to do. And it would be the high priest would do these things. I got a whole list of them here in this little book here. It says he would have to select a young bullock for a sin offering for himself. He also took a ram for a burnt offering. He washed himself. He put on his holy linen garments. He took two kids of the goats for a sin offering for the congregation. So, you know, he's already gathered up uh, some animals for his own self. Now he's gathering up animals for the congregation. He took another ram for a burnt offering for the congregation. He presented the goats. He cast lots for the goats. He sacrificed his bullock as a sin offering for his personal sin. He took a censer of the burning coals. He filled his hands with the incense and brought it inside the veil. He took a censer and filled it with live coals off the golden altar. He put incense on the fire so that the cloud of the incense might cover the mercy seat so that he uh, would not be killed. 
He brought the blood of his bullock and sprinkled it before and on the mercy seat. And then, and that's all for him. That's just so he could be purified enough to where he can do the rest of it for some people, for all the congregation. I mean, that's 14 different things he did just for himself. And then for the, con- for the public sin, he killed the goat for the people. Remember, there was two goats. One of them, I, I guess when he drew the lots, one of them was going to be blood for the altar, but then the other one was going to be let go in the wilderness, right? Uh, so he killed the goat for the people. He went in alone with the blood into the Holy of Holies. He came out and sprinkled the blood on the golden altar uh, in the holy place. He took the live goat and laid his hands upon it. He confessed over it all the sins of the people. He handed the goat over to a fit man, and this man was not to be known, uh, the fit man led the goat away into the wilderness. The high priest went back into the tabernacle. He took off his holy linen garments. He washed himself. He put on his garments of glory. He offered his ram as a burnt offering. He offered the people's ram as a burnt offering. He burnt the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The fit man returned from the wilderness. The fit man uh, washed his clothes. He then bathed his flesh. And then he came back into the camp. After all that, uh, there was, all right, here's the unknown person. There was an unknown man who would take the carcass of the bullock, which was the high priest's sin offering, and the carcass of the goat, which was the people's sin offering, outside the camp. The unknown man burned the remains of the bullock and the goat, including their skin, flesh, and dung. The unknown man washed his clothes. He washed his flesh. He came back into the camp. The people uh, afflicted their souls. The people totally abstained from work. The people were made to recognize that all of this was an unending process, a statute that they would have to keep forever. Like, all of that. And then knowing you're going to have to go through that all over again, the next year. That's part of the handwriting of ordinances. There was also, if you go to Leviticus, back up in Leviticus to chapter 1, and read from chapter 1 all the way through into chapter 7, you can read all about the burnt offering, the meal offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, you know, the meal offering was that, the flying, uh, fine flour. You know, the, the, the bread, Jesus' body broken, you know, bread. Now, this back here in the Old Testament, it was the flour had to be sifted, and it was fine flour. It was mixed, mingled with oil and salt. What does those, those two things represent? Oil, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the salt would be uh, a preservative, no, no corruption. That was a picture of Jesus way back then. It was a picture of Jesus. The sin offering was about what we are, sinners, and the trespass offering about what we do, which is sin. 
We sin because we're sinners, right? We didn't do a sin and that made us a sinner. No, we sin because we're sinners. We've got to remember that. We come into this world corrupted. We come into this world condemned. There's no, nothing we can do for ourselves to make us worthy enough to, to be in the presence of our Heavenly Father. Nothing we can do. But Jesus came. All of these, all that stuff, all these things that I, I read off this list, and all these offerings, they all pointed to Jesus. That was going to come one day. And guess what he did? He did come. Let's turn to Hebrews. You don't have to turn there if you don't want. You can just listen. But if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 10, feel free. You've got to always make sure. I'm not telling you something that's not in the Bible. So you have to check these things out for yourself. People will tell you all kinds of crazy things. So make sure that I'm telling you the truth. So over in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to start reading. My note tells me to read it, start reading at 14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. All right, think about this uh, handwriting of ordinances that we just talked about over here in Colossians. What did he do with it? Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. All of those laws in the Old Testament gave us something that we could not ever obtain. We could not... But what it did is it showed us just how pitiful we are. All of those laws. Now, what Jesus did is He blotted all of that out. We don't go to the law and check, make, make a checklist out of it. We don't have all those laws and go, okay, I've done that one, I'm good. Oh, I really need to work on this one. I'll get back to that. And then over time, we get to where we've, we've conquered all that and we've made ourselves better. No. Jesus came and with His shed blood, He blotted out with His blood all of those things. We don't have to look at them anymore. We turn from all of that and we start because it was a miracle circumcision made without hands, the operation of God that immediately took all of that flesh that the law was written for and got that flesh and crucified it and got rid of it. It's gone. And you'll argue, but I'm still walking around in it and I still have struggles. Yes, you will. Are you going to believe what the Word of God says about you or are you going to believe what you see? Are you going to believe in in your, just your humanness, or, or are you going to believe what the Word of God says about you? That you are crucified. Not that you're being, 
but that you are. It's a done deal. We have to believe things that are beyond us. We just have to believe them. And that's when you'll get victory, when you believe on Jesus. Believe on what he's done for you. And, all right, back over in Hebrews. That covenant, that new covenant, it's talking about it right here in 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. Putting the, so his laws are in our heart. Now that the circumcision of the heart has been done, he can put his ways in our hearts. We just want to do what he wants because we're a new creature. If you're truly born again, that's, that's what you are now. His laws are on your heart. And in their minds, I will write them. They will just be something that's inside of you, not something on the outside you're trying to keep. And their sins and iniquity, iniquities will I remember no more. That's good news. And where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. So all those laws, don't try to do those anymore. There's no more offering because what he did finishes it. There's no more. Having therefore, brethren, whole, uh, boldness to enter into the, holiest of, into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now, right, this next verse is what I was talking about the last couple weeks as far as the veil. Remember what I said about the veil that separated everybody from the Holy of Holies? It just says here in, in 19... We can enter into the holiest. Well, what gives us that right? By the blood of Jesus. By a new and a living way, which he hath consecrated, consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Remember what I said about that? The veil separated us from the holy of holies. When Jesus died on the cross, his body was broken. His flesh was broken. What happened to the veil at the temple? It was rent in two to where people, just everyday average people, can go to the Holy of Holies, which is God in heaven. We go, when we kneel at the altar, we, we are able to go to the throne room of grace because of this right here that Jesus did for us. So that veil was rent. The veil, that is to say, His flesh. Verse 21. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled. What did, what on that list, they, they sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. But now our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See, they, they washed themselves. The priest washed himself. The fit man who came back from taking the goat to the wilderness, he washed himself. The unknown person, he washed himself. But we have been washed with pure water. Let us hold fast or hold on tight to the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. We don't have to worry about keeping a promise. 
we, we don't keep our promises all the time. But Jesus promised, and he's not, he doesn't have a problem with keeping his promises. So our faith needs to be in Jesus, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Why do we come together? Why do we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ? We need to consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, and here's the verse, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. But as time, you know, as time goes on and things get worse and worse in the world, people, they're not meeting as much. Remember what I said last week. You know, I go down to Scripture Truth. I was talking about that last week, going down there and talking to the guys who run that store down there, wonderful bookstore. You know, I was talk- on Wednesday, I was talking about all the... I had three different Bibles up here, and all- they all came from... At some point or another, they came from Scripture Truth. I bought them there. And then I had that big old book on Psalms, and I said, I didn't get this there. But the guy I got the books from got them there. So even they came from came from Scripture Truth. But talking to those guys, they, they, it's the same story over and over and over again. Churches are losing people. People are... But, you know, we're supposed to be assembling more and more, but yet we're less and less as time goes on. All right, back over to Colossians, and uh, we're going to read uh, a verse or two, and then we're going to jump over to another place in the other direction. Okay, now we're on uh, 15, and having... This, remember, we're back in Colossians now, chapter 2, Verse 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come but the body is of Christ. Now, if you're, in, if you're assembling together, if you understand what Hebrews 10 uh, is telling us about Jesus being the offering, if you believe all of that, and we're coming together, we are free from the ordinances, the handwriting of ordinances, the law, we're free from that, So he's saying that the people who wanted Jesus to go to the cross, think about the people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Roman people, you know, the Romans. uh, There's all kinds of people that wanted Jesus. They wanted to get rid of him. Satan wanted Jesus to eliminated. And the more they tried to get rid of Jesus, the further they pushed him closer and closer and closer to the cross. The very people who wanted to get him out of the way drove him to 
the place he was meant to go. Think about that. The very people who didn't want him around pushed him to the place that would save every single one of us. It would, it was, it would put him on a cross to be crucified so that all of us have an opportunity to believe on him by the shed blood. Because of what we've been free from, we're told to let no man therefore judge you in meat. That means what you eat. So don't let people judge you. If you want to uh, eat a cute little deer, you can eat a cute little deer. Don't let people judge you. If, uh, or in drink, if, if just don't, don't let people make you feel like you're less of a Christian because of the things you eat and drink. Don't let people uh, make you think that you have to keep a holy day. There are churches out there, denominations out there, that will tell you you have to keep the feast days. You have to do those Jewish things. This is telling you right here that you're free from all that. All those pointed to something way better, and that's Jesus or of the new moon, or of Sabbath days. Those same churches, they'll tell you to go to church on Saturday because that's the real Sabbath. Yeah, that's the Sabbath. Sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night. That's the Sabbath. But we worship on the first day of the week. We don't worship on the Sabbath like the Jewish people did. But there's plenty of people out there that'll tell you you're doing it wrong. I know some of them. You just smile and keep on going. I usually ask them, is Galatians in your Bible? That's usually what I say. Like, is Galatians in your Bible? And they just look at me funny. And I hope they go and look and see if Galatians is still in their Bible. And I hope they read them. I hope they read Galatians and get a uh, conviction from the Holy Spirit that they're believing some lies. I want you to think about the cross was the power of God and the wisdom of God. When you, when you think about uh, verse 15 there and 16, just think about the cross was the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians. So you're going to go the other direction. In Hebrews, we went toward the back. 1 Corinthians, it's not far, but it's uh, to the left. And in 1 Corinthians, starting with uh, chapter 1, verse 18, listen closely. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolishness the wisdom of this world? Hath not God made foolishness the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So what do you got to do to be saved? Got to believe. Pretty simple. You've got to believe. You can do that. Believe. Um, but 
what are you believing? That's the key. All right, 22. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. There it is in the Bible. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. You know, it makes me think of David and Goliath, right? He used something that looked very weak, a boy who wasn't even supposed to be at the battle. All the older brothers were soldiers, but he was supposed to be back home tending to the sheep. There's a, this guy on uh, YouTube, I haven't seen him pop up in a long time, but, and again, I don't like, you, most of what's on YouTube is trash, but there is some, some good things, you've got to look for them. But there's, if you look for religious type things, you're going to get a bunch of uh, religious dangers that pop up as well. There's this one guy on there, he's a real skinny dude, got funny looking hair, and he said, uh, he, was, he was talking, about, he had a crowd gathered, and he was talking about David and Goliath, and that it, he destroyed the whole story. He said that Goliath had to be escorted by hand into the battlefield because he was blind. He had a, uh, was a shield bearer, is what he had with him. But he made it into Goliath, was, uh, was blind, couldn't see very far, and that he had to be hand-held, you know, led out into the battlefield. He said that David's slingshot was like modern artillery and that he had such an advantage over the giant because of the artillery that he had in that slingshot and those rocks. And I'm listening to this guy talk about this, and by the time he gets to the end of it, it's this victory that David had was nothing. It was just nothing. Because he had all the advantages and, and Goliath was, was, was no real enemy. I woke. That's the kind of stuff that you will see on the internet. So this, God gets the glory when a little David beats Goliath. He, God gets the glory. But he... That guy totally messed up God getting the glory in that. Totally messed it up. All right, back to 1 Corinthians. I'm over in uh, 128. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. You know, remember when David was chosen to be king? He wasn't even around. And they were going through all the brothers. And it was like, nope, 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 nope. Is there any others? Well, yeah, the, you know, David, he's out there tending to the sheep. We'll bring him. And as soon as he shows up, that's him. See, we we got to be careful who we pick, who we pick to be pastors, 
who we pick for leadership roles, we need to pick who's God, who God wants, not what man wants. We've got to be very careful. Uh, that no flesh, 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. We should never brag about how great we are. God uses us because we're weak. So brag about how weak you are. You're like, God's using me? I must be pitiful. Oh, awesome. I'm pitiful. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. See, Paul was, this is Paul. He was brilliant. Do you, do you, do you understand how intelligent and how, how much schooling Paul went through? He, he had enough background and credentials where he could have bragged about some things, but he's saying the opposite here. He, he, he said, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Now, here's the verse that I was talking about recently. For I determined not to know anything among you save or accept Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Is that all Paul taught? He taught way more than just Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The doctrines of the cross, the doctrines of the church in Ephesians, the doctrines of the second coming in, in Thessalonians, and all of, this, all of the things to reprove and to correct and the other letters that he wrote, think about all the things he wrote. He wrote about so many things, and he's taught us so many things, but what is he saying right here? For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because he wants us to make sure, he wants to make sure that we understand that all that other stuff he taught means nothing if you miss this, if you miss Jesus, none of the other stuff, no matter how great the teachings were, mean nothing in the future for you. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of, the, uh, and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that came to naught. The powerful people in this world, think about them. Think about past presidents and past kings of this world. If they didn't know Jesus, all they had was what they had when they was on this earth it ended up coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, 
they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Remember, all those people who thought they were smart, all the way down to the pitiful Satan, who, if they would have known that Jesus was going to that cross for the purpose of saving everybody, they, wouldn't have, they would have done everything to keep him alive. The foolishness of the gospel can save each and every one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. Father, we don't deserve it. Father, we come to this world broken. Father, we are in such need of you and what you've done for us in providing the shed blood of Jesus Christ on that cross. Father, we go to the cross. We bow down. Father, we didn't deserve any of it, but you did it for us anyway. And Father, we are believing on that so that we can be born again, that we can enter into the Holy of Holies to be with you, Father. Thank you for being the way, the truth, and the life. And Father, we know by your word that no one comes to you except through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Christ's name we pray, amen.